So you're probably thinking, why in the world did we play that game? Um, it's, I wanted you guys all to know that Josh is a phenomenal liar. No, just kidding. Um, a kid. No, it's, it's because I believe that so much of life is trying to figure out what is true and what is false. So much of life is trying to figure out, is what I'm hearing from all the different outside voices true? In this time of year, uh, I feel like we tend to hear lots of different, what I would classify possibly as lies. Things like, hey, here's a new credit card with a spending limit far greater than what you should really have. Here's this new car that you deserve. Here's all these toys that your kids have to have. Otherwise, they'll hate you forever and forever will resent you. These are some of the lies that maybe they don't subtly say out there, but they tend to be portrayed. This morning, I want to talk about what it means as followers of Jesus to understand what is true and what is false when it comes to things like being rich. In particular, I want to talk about perspective. You know, in that game, the person who could actually see what was in there in some ways sometimes had the upper hand because they had the perspective of what was really true. Now, they had the opportunity to distort the truth. They had the opportunity to do anything else. But they held the key to knowing exactly what was real, as crazy, as weird, as outlandish, as absurd as it may have been, and what was false. This morning, if you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. And if not, it's going to be up on the screen. And last week we read part of this verse, but I want to look at the entirety of this verse. And again, I want us to keep in mind this concept of perspective. You know, perspective is something super important because we all bring different perspectives, right? How many of you, before maybe you got married, you had a perspective about what marriage would be? How many of you guys figured out you were totally wrong? (laughs) Or how many of you guys, before maybe you had kids, had a perspective about what parenting would be and how it would go? And you probably said phrases as you saw people out at restaurants like, I will never do that when I'm a parent. I'll never allow my kids to do that, right? Man, we're such liars, right? (laughs) Our perspective matters because once we see something, it's hard to unsee things. And I'm not talking about like weird things like when you're in a locker room or anything like that. I'm talking about like there are things that happen in our lives that when our perspective changes, in theory, it changes forever. In First Timothy, when, Tim, when, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he says this, and, and this is something that I want to say up front, is not meant to just be uh, pointed in on what our concept, our perspective of rich is. But he says this, he says, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's a good word from Paul. It's a good word. So what does all of this mean? What does it have to do with a perspective? Now, I think it's all of us can probably pretty easily understand this concept of not putting our hope in wealth. We've all had times where we were riding high and we've been humbled probably. 
We've all had times where we've where, where we've seen the stories of athletes. Maybe you've seen uh, there's a documentary called Broke, and and you find out how there are these athletes who can make millions of dollars, and you just think they're living this life that is perfect, and how fleeting it can become, because so much of their hope was put into something that is temporary. And so it's so obvious, that's, that's, that's an obvious thing, but what does it mean then, again, to do good, to be rich in good needs, and to be generous and willing to share? So what does that mean? When we say rich, again, our concept of rich at this time of year in particular tends to do again with, what do I have? What's going to be underneath the Christmas tree? What, can, what kind of vacation can I make sure that I go on to make sure that everyone thinks that I'm doing well? What kind of clothes can I make sure that my kids are wearing so that way everyone can see that we're doing great? You know, we kind of joke about like the keeping up with the Joneses thing, but it's true, right? You know, our neighbor gets a new truck and we're like, oh man, I probably need a new truck. I don't want to look like a schmuck. We see that uh, this family went on uh, both a fall break and a spring break trip and, and we want to keep up with that too. You know, we, 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 we so often in a world where social media is so prevalent, I'm guilty of this. You're like sitting there and it's cold in Indiana and you see someone went on that, that trip someplace warm, right? We begin to tell ourselves that that would be the life, right? If only we could go on those vacations all the time. If only we had all those nice cars, all the nice clothes. If only I had that house. Man, I'm guilty of that sometimes. There's, there's times where I sit there and I'm on the realtor.com app and I'm like, oh man, someday, right? Then, then life will be perfect. Then things will be good. But we find out that, that as Paul said, just like Jesus said uh, at one point, that we should not put our hope in money. We should not put our, our hope, we shouldn't lay up ourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where they can be stolen. But as he said at the very end, we should store up ourselves treasures in heaven where, where things cannot be taken away. And so as followers of Christ, when we begin to study God's word, when we begin to look at the life and the teaching of Jesus, we begin to realize that as our perspective changes, being rich is not about status. It's not about money, but it's about heart change. Being rich as a follower of Christ is about an attitude and a heart change. It's not about wealth. It's not about status. And you see, that's one of those things that we have to start with. We're in this series called Be Rich And this is the second week, and we're talking about money, and we're talking about possessions, and we're talking about generosity. And here at South Creek, when we talk about generosity, we talk about it from the standpoint of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And that generosity is a holistic approach. And it's not about how much you give, but it's about the sacrifice and the heart that flows out of it. That it's not about being able to write a big check or being able to give all of your time, but it's about the heart that propels you out of that. But one of the concepts that we have to get, and if we miss out on this, we miss out on everything, is that when our perspective is changed by Jesus Christ, when we choose to say, I believe he is the Son of Man, I believe he is the Lord of my life, I believe that he alone can pay the debt that I never could, then our perspective changes or should change about everything. It changes our passions It changes our identity. It changes the way that we interact with both the people that we love and the people that we hate. But it also means that it, it changes the way that we view our things, our money. It changes the way that we view our time. It changes the way that we view the gifts that we have because we begin to realize that they're not just our own talents, but they are things that God gave us to bring glory and honor to him. 
They're things that he gave us to use to point people back to him. And so when we begin to realize that being rich as a follower of Jesus is just about understanding this fact that we have been given the greatest gift there ever could be, which is, which is a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The rest is just gravy, right? It's like we already got the mountain of mashed potatoes like we all ate this week. We got the corn. I know we're in Indiana. We throw the noodles on top, but then the rest is just gravy on top. Yet the... The difficulty is, I think, and I'm, I'm guiltier than anyone else, is that so often we try to take what our culture says about possessions, about even experiences, about wealth, about being rich, and we try to fit Jesus in there. And that's not how it works. You see, the person that we hurt the most when we live a life that is closed-fisted, that is not generous in good deeds and being willing to share, the person that we hurt most is not those who are missing out on the, the, the ways that we could have served, the ways we could have given, the way we could have been present for someone. The person who misses out most is ourselves. Because the reality is, when we do that, we begin to encase ourselves into this prison that we've built up on our own status on our own wealth, on our own things, and we think that they are going to be the things that are just going to make us feel good, that they're going to be the things that are going to just sustain us, and they're not. Jesus told a parable once about a, a, a rich young man, and, and, and all he wanted uh, was to figure out, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, listen, go and, go and sell all your possession, give it to the poor, and then come follow me, and, and, and then you will, you'll truly figure it out. And when he said that, it wasn't supposed to be this statement that is for all of us to say, listen, we're not allowed to own anything. We need to sell everything we have, give it to the poor. That wasn't the point. What Jesus was getting at was he realized that this man was being enslaved by his things, by his status, by his possessions. He thought that was his identity. And he knew the only way that he could truly become an adopted son of the one king was that he had to get, get rid of those things. He had to shift his perspective. He was so focused on what was in front of him that he was missing out on this relational aspect. My friends, I really believe this, that when our perspective changes, so does our heart. And that when we see ourselves as rich because of his grace, that's when we can live more generous. We can begin to have a generous heart, a generous lifestyle that is holistic when we begin to realize that our time is not our own. That our talents and our gifting are not our own. And that our money is not our own. You know, so many people will, will tell me after, they've, um, after they've, they've given their heart to the Lord, they're like, yes, I have finally arrived. And it's not long afterwards that some of them will begin to say, man, these things feel stale. Things don't feel different. And usually after asking questions, you know what we figure out? Things aren't different. We've said a prayer We've, we've, we've changed a little bit of our lifestyle, but not enough. You see, calling Jesus Lord doesn't mean like, God, I'm going to give you like just a teeny sliver of my life so we're like friends, but like you're not really my Lord. You see, giving your life to Jesus because he gave his whole life means not giving just parts of it where it's like, all right, Jesus, I will give you my Sunday morning at 10 o'clock twice a month. Okay, once a month, 
That's not what he's looking for. And it's, I'm not talking about getting to perfect attendance. He's not asking you to be like, all right, um, Jesus, I will give you, I'll give like $25 to a charity once a year. Okay, twice a year just to get you off my back. He's not looking for those sort of things where, where, where when we look at that, our lives look nothing different than those who would not claim to know Jesus. It's really, really difficult to authentically say that our hearts and our lives have been transformed by Jesus if our lives look nothing like it, if our checkbooks look nothing different, if our schedules look the exact same as they did before we met Jesus. My friends, we may have not really given our life over to Jesus. If the talents that we've been giving, the gifts that we've been giving them, if there's something that we've, we're not using to advance the kingdom of God, guess what? They're gifts that can just easily be taken back. I'm not saying God's going to be like, hey, sorry, you didn't use this. You're, you're terrible. I'm going to strike you with lightning now. But I'm saying there's this reality that they're gifts that were given to be used. And when we don't use them, it's kind of like a slap in the face. I think we have to begin to allow our perspective to just change. I'm just going to go through a few scriptures with you guys this morning. And this is going to be a shorter sermon, which all God's people said, amen. In Matthew Chapter 6, Jesus just says this, and he uses some pretty um, bold and just not a lot of wiggle room words. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, again, Jesus talked a lot about money. And I think the reason is, is not because you could substitute in other things. You cannot serve both God and all your spouse's wishes. You cannot serve both God and all the desires that your children have. You cannot serve both God and success. You cannot serve both God and pride. There's so many things you could sub in there. But I think we realize that, that money is one of those things that's such an emotional thing. You know, again, it's funny. Sometimes when I do premarital counseling, the thing that is the more uncomfortable talk is not when we talk about sex, it's when we talk about money. Isn't that, that's just sort of a funny social commentary. Sex was intended to be an intimate thing that happens between only just like one partner. That's in God's design. It's just this idea of, of one sexual partner. It's this, this vulnerable, empty, or this vulnerable thing where it's just two people and it's this beautiful thing in the context of marriage. But it's funny how people have come to this place where, where that doesn't feel nearly as uncomfortable, as weird, as, as, as sacred as it does when we start talking about like, hey, have you guys thought about um, you know, maybe combining bank accounts or, or opening up each other to have those? That's when tension sometimes comes in. And I think Jesus realized that there's this reality that that is one of those big hiccups. That's one of those big things that's difficult for people to let go and allow him to rule their life. Now, here's what I'm not asking you to do. So don't, don't think I'm going that way. I'm not saying like, okay, after service, the goal is everyone needs to sign over their um, bank rights to the church and just give away all their money and, and live as a poor person. It's not what I'm saying, but it's this reality that if our perspective, if our hearts have been changed by Jesus Christ and we're currently not living in a way in which we're giving back to others, we're not helping advance a mission that Jesus has called his people to. If we're not giving of any of our time to help serve the least of these or to help serve in any way the church, if we're not using the talents that God has given us in any sort of capacity, the reality is the person that we're robbing the most is ourselves. 
We're missing out on the opportunity to be kingdom advancers. And not only that, we're living this life in which we are no longer being ruled by the master God and we're being ruled by something. And it may not be money for you. It could be your time. It could be your work. It could be your pride. It could be just this, this, this vision of a life that you think you should have. But the reality is what is being robbed is your presence. In, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, it just says this. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You know, I think when, 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 when we start having conversations about letting go of the control that we desperately want, over our finances, over our time, over, over the gifts that we've been given. I think the, the, the hard part, at least for me, typically has been, but I don't want to let go control. I'm worried that the God of the universe who created me, who placed the stars in the sky, who, 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 who made dry bones come to life, who parted the Red Seas, I'm, I'm worried that this powerful being who deeply loves me um, may not know how to run my life as well as I think I could. That was supposed to be funny. Thank you for the couple pity laughs. But it's true, right? It's hard to let go of that control. But did you read those? That in every good thing, that he will bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see, some of the perspective change goes from needs to wants. We're so focused sometimes on the wants that we want. Half the time we don't even have a heart that is, that is, is full of gratitude for the needs being constantly Matt, but it's this reality that when we choose to sow sparingly, when we choose to invest deeply into the kingdom of God, listen, your return, you may not get exactly what you want here on earth, but I promise you, in the next life, man, are you going to have it good. And that's not even one of those things where it's you're going to have this mansion in heaven, but it's this reality that heaven, the way that I see heaven, is this reality that there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more brokenness and that forever we will be in the presence of Jesus. Man, I don't care what the rest is there. I don't care if I see family members. I don't care if I have a house. I don't care about the rest of that. If I'm just living in a world in which it's no longer broken, in which I am just completely in the presence and love of Jesus without any opportunity for myself to mess it up, man, take me there right now. Take me there right now. We have to begin to realize that. You know, I always like this verse because it makes me think of, of, of all of our hopes, right? Whenever there's been a big lottery thing where, you know, the, 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 the amount keeps getting higher, we all have those dreams, right, that I'm going to buy this $10 ticket and I'm going to get this return back that's going to be millions of dollars, right? We all want that. We all want the small investment, huge reward. And the reality is here on earth, if we want to see a God generously blessing us, there's just this reality that we have to be generous in the way that we live. The more we close our fists to God, the harder it is for him to open his to us. It doesn't mean that he won't love us. It doesn't mean he doesn't welcome us back immediately. But there's this reality that that's part of how it works. You can't expect to have a harvest as a farmer if you don't plant. 
And so that is the challenge. My friends, I, I do believe this, that God has gifted us for our present to help draw people to him and to a better future. I'm going to invite the, uh, the band back up, and they're going to play one more song. But I thought I'd tell you guys a, a story. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever had this happen, but I, I think my son speaks to me kind of prophetically. And I don't mean like weirdly where he like all of a sudden starts like speaking in tongues and I'm like, whoa, so don't don't go like down that way. Or he doesn't like have like this deep voice out of nowhere. Um, but there are times where maybe you've experienced this. Kids can just say something to you and, and they don't know what they're doing, but it just cuts to the heart to you. And uh, my son, the other morning, uh, I, I was getting ready and I had finished up having my quiet time. That's not so quiet anymore because usually he's screaming while I'm trying to read. And um, and I was I was trying to just, you know, read my emails real quick in the living room while he was uh, finishing up his breakfast. And uh, and, and I'm, I'm just doing that. And have you ever had that happen where your kid can like they can just be super quiet and they sneak up to like they're like this close to you. Like it's kind of freaky how like ninja like they are. And he startled me. And all of a sudden, he's just smiling. He says, Daddy, we here. And I'm like, yeah, bud, we're here. And, and he just kept saying it. Daddy, we here. And I figured out, really all my son was wanting to remind me was, Daddy, I'm right here. We're right here in this moment. And I don't want you to miss out on that. I want your full attention. And I just want your love. And it was great because, you know, we sat for a while and we hugged and we had a tickle fight and we wrestled and our day went on. But it's this reality that I think what God was saying to me in that moment was, Aaron, you're here in this moment right now. And I'm not just talking about in this moment with your son, but the reality is we all only get one shot here on earth. We get one life. And how we live this life now affects the rest of our eternity but it also deeply affects the presence for us, for our children, for our grandchildren, for our, our neighbors who, 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 who live on this tide of town that we'd never want to live in. And the reality is we have to start living like we're here. We got to stop getting ready, prepping for this long life that we think we're going to have. My friends, I don't want to sound morbid, but we don't know how long we have. So we don't want to miss out on moments. And so my, my hope and my challenge to you and to myself too is to live a life in which I show others that I am rich. Not because of the car I drive or the clothes that I wear. Because I have Jesus in my life. And he changed my life. He changed my perspective and he changed my heart. And he could change others too. And I hope that we live a life that is generous that we live open-handedly, freely giving our time, our talent, and our treasure. Last week I read this, this verse from Ephesians and it just said this, be very careful then how you live, not as the unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. My friends, if you're trying to figure out what the will of the Lord is, I can give you just a little hint. Some of the will of the Lord is to take care of those who are downtrodden, the marginalized, the poor, the orphans and the widows. It's to show others that Jesus truly has changed your life. He's given you a joy that nothing in this world can give. He's given you a peace that doesn't make sense in the midst of chaos and storms of your life. 
He's given you a grace that you don't deserve, you don't, you could never earn. And He freely gave it to you anyways. And He'd give it to anyone else who'd be willing to take Him up on it. That's the will of the Lord. To continue to move forward, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and help lead them into new life with Christ. I'm going to ask you guys to stand and and I'm going to pray in, in just a second. We're going to sing a song. But I will say, this is, this is my challenge to you. Uh, especially if you're in a place where you say, yes, I believe Jesus is my Lord. Yes, I, I call South Creek my church home. I, I will be bold enough to say, here's what I'm going to ask. Put God to the test. Maybe start finding a place to serve. Maybe you're not serving in any sort of capacity. Let us know. We would be glad to find you a place to serve. And it doesn't have to be this big thing. Even just greeting on a Sunday morning, helping with the kids check-in. Even if it's finding a place outside the walls. Find a way to serve. Because when we serve, one of the best things it does is it gets our focus off ourselves. And it starts to put our focus onto others. That's my first challenge. My second challenge is this. If South Creek has blessed you, and I told you guys before, I don't feel weird saying this. I believe that God has given us an important mission here in this time, in this place, in this community. And I believe that our work matters. I do believe that if this place ceased to exist, that our community would notice, that there would be some things that would happen. So I'm, I'm asking some of you, test God. See that if you would so generously, if you would just trust him with a small amount, doesn't have to be, get rid of the whole concept of, oh, let me figure out what's 10% of my income. Just start somewhere and say, I'm going to be all in, in giving something to the mission of this church. Cause I want to see people's lives changed. I want to help see some of our ministry partners like Nadej flourish. That only happens because of the generosity of people like you. So I'm going to ask you to do that. And maybe just maybe you're going to realize that God is going to bless you far more greatly than your blessing is to this place. But test Him and see how He may do. But the last challenge I have for you is if you haven't trusted your life with Jesus yet, man, I promise you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, even if you've walked away, I promise that His His faithfulness is true. I've walked away and I've came back and He has embraced me as His Son who He deeply loves he'll do it for you as well. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for the fact that, God, you truly are the great provider. That, God, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. God, I know sometimes talking about possessions, talking about money can feel uncomfortable. But, God, I pray that this morning people would realize that their hearts being transformed by you, their perspective changing, God, I pray that they would begin to just foster this idea that, that, that anything that they have is a gift from you and that they freely give it back to you. God, we believe that you have called us to important work here in this time. That we're here. We are here right now. And that, God, what we do matters. So, God, I pray that you would foster inside our hearts a spirit of generosity. God, a sense, a perspective of us being rich, not because of our wealth or our status or our influence, but God, because of the gifts, the identity that we have as sons and daughters of you. God, I pray that if anyone this morning, God, maybe they've walked away from you, God, maybe, they, maybe they've never had relationship with you. God, I pray that this morning that any lies that they may hear 
saying they're not good enough. They're unworthy. That you could never love them because of fill in the blank. God, I pray in the name of your son Jesus that those voices would just be quieted and that the only voice that they would hear is from you. Tell them that you love them. That you miss them. And all you want to do is welcome them back home. God, whatever you want us to hear this morning, God, speak. We are wanting to listen. We're wanting to hear. In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.